You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Samson, is part two in the series, Unlikely, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thank you so much, uh, Keith. Thank you to our band today. A wonderful time of worship, and I'm so glad you're here this morning. And I want to invite you to take your Bible and please find the book of Judges. And we'll, we'll go to chapter 13 in just a moment. The book of Judges. We're returning there today because we're continuing something we started last week called Unlikely. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that. I, I uh, turned to uh, my old senior high school yearbook. Uh, it, this says Haywood High School, Brownsville, Tennessee. The year was 1986. We were the, I don't know if you can see that. We were the mighty, mighty Tomcats. And uh, so there's a section in my yearbook uh, with the seniors uh, called Senior Superlatives. And I don't know, do they even still print yearbooks now? Uh, and I don't know if they still do senior superlatives, class favorites, but uh, that was a section where it lists all the seniors that their classmates had voted them to be the class's favorite or the best in certain categories. And I, I thought I'd show you just a few of those. Uh, here's one. This is most intelligent. And I'm telling you, they were. Uh, all of these um, very intelligent people in that group. There's two attorneys. There's one school administrator. There's one veterinarian. Uh, very intelligent people. The guy on the far right, by the way, one of my best friends in high school, Matthew Thornton, he is the reason that I'm a UT fan because he walked on as a kicker and he had a perfect record over four years of being a kicker at UT. He was three for three. Next is uh, the most, uh, what's the next one? Most athletic. And uh, all of these people, incredible athletes that went on to play uh, uh, at the next level. The guy on the far right, Galen Baggett, he was my center. I was a quarterback. He was my center. And how many of you know it's a good thing when your center is smarter and faster than you are? That, that makes for a good offense, and, and he certainly was. His brother broke my shoulder when I was a, a sophomore. Uh, next slide is the most talented, and all four of these incredible singers and dancers and actors and uh, just so much talent, they were voted most talented. And then, really, the, the top of the heap was what was called most likely to succeed, and so here's the picture. I mean, Jeffrey and Deborah and Jerry and Gina, they, they were all, they just had that factor about them where you just knew they're going to succeed in life in whatever they do. And it turns out they really have. Most likely to succeed. Uh, there are many people who think, you know, if God printed a list like that, uh, if, if, if he printed a list of all of the Christians who were most likely to succeed at serving Christ, uh, 
there are many people who think, I would never make that list. Maybe I would be voted the most unlikely to succeed as a Christian. Because God would never trust me to do anything important. A lot of people think that way. Now, we believe that God has created every Christian with a gift to serve him in his kingdom in a special way. In fact, we believe that everybody in the world is created with a purpose and on purpose. And and we believe that God has called every Christian to join him in his great work in the world to make some special contribution that no one else can do uh, exactly like they can. But many people think, no, not me, not me. I'm so unlikely to succeed I would never make that list because they assume that the sins of their past and their past failures have disqualified them from being useful to God. And they assume that uh, the labels the world has put on them are true in their life, that they are unloved, they are unworthy, they are failures. And for many people, Satan has lied to you and said, don't even try Because you're going to fail at being a Christian just like you've messed everything else up in your life. And many people believe that lie. And yet, what we find is that God's Word tells a different story. Over and over in God's Word, what we see is God choosing the most unlikely people to do His most amazing work. I read these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to you last week. I want you to hear them again. It makes it so clear. The Bible says there, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in the presence of God. God doesn't always pick the most intelligent or the most talented or the most likely to succeed. He chooses the unlikely to do the things that bring him the greatest glory. And he does that so that at the end of the day, we have to look at him and say, Lord, it was all you. And he gets all the glory. Uh, That is so clear In the Old Testament book of Judges. Today, uh, we're going to see how God picked an unlikely man by the name of Samson to save his people from their enemies. Now, I say Samson was unlikely because based on his record, there's nobody in this room that would ever hire Samson to work for you. If you looked in Samson's file in HR, what it would say is things like impulsive, anger issues, inappropriate relationships, not a team player. He breaks a lot of things. He's entitled. He's sort of a narcissist. And yet God chose Samson and greatly used him. And so this message today is for anyone who says, God can't use me. I'm just a hot mess. 
or I'm too direct with people, or I'm not good at relationships, or I don't feel like I fit the profile, or I've been so inconsistent in my faith. I'm just telling you that if God can use Samson, he can certainly use you. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 13 and verse 1 and and hit some of Samson's highlights and some disappointments of his life. Uh, So we have to start here with Samson's special calling. He had a special calling on his life from God. It began before he was even born. Judges 13.1 says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So what's happening is the nation of Israel, God's people, are starting a cycle that they ended up repeating 12 times for 12 generations. And the cycle went like this. They, they would begin to uh, forget about the God who loved them and who called them and gave them their identity. And they turned to false gods, these idols that they would begin to worship, the idols of the pagan nations around them. And so as God tried to get their attention, he spoke to them in what seems like the only way they could understand. And that was through oppression and pain. And and eventually the people would turn back to the Lord and and say, Lord, we have sinned against you. Please help us. And, And God would send a deliverer. In this case, God sent the nation of the Philistines to oppress his people for 40 years. That's a long time. And if the length of their oppression under the Philistines is any indication of the depth of their sin, the people of Israel must have fallen deeply into wickedness and depravity. And yet God heard their cries again, and he sends them a deliverer called a judge. Not like a judge in a courtroom today, more like an avenger who would rise up and fight their enemies and set them free from oppression. Now, uh, in verse 2, the Bible says there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites. That's a cool name, isn't it? Maybe the coolest name of any tribe. The family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So God was sending a deliverer, a judge, and he was supposed to have a lifetime vow called the Nazarite vow. Now that was the highest level of devotion for a Jew. It was all about being ready to serve God anytime, anywhere. And so uh, it included uh, the rule that there was to be no alcohol consumption ever, meaning a lifetime of sobriety so that when God called, this person would never have to take time to sober up 
in order to meet God's call. They would be ready at any time. Another thing was uh, no touching or eating anything considered unclean by the law of Moses. If you had done anything or touched anything unclean, then you would have to first go through a ritual purification period in order to serve God in some way. And so the Lord said, you you can't do that. You're going to live a totally holy life totally separated from anything unclean so that you're always ready to serve at a moment's notice. And then the third thing was no haircuts for life. No haircuts. So that everybody who saw that long hair on Samson would know this guy serves the Lord. And over time, the length of Samson's hair would measure how long he had kept his vows to God. He would be really a walking testimony that I'm God's man. Uh, So uh, verse 24 says, so the woman bore a son called his name Samson and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And listen to this. Here's the difference maker. The spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanet Don between Zorah and Eshtaol. And so the Spirit of God began to empower Samson to fight the Philistines, to enable him to do things he would not be able to do in his own strength. And uh, it begins in verse 14. The Bible says now Samson, or chapter 14, verse 1 rather, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go uh, get her for me as a wife. Now, this is just wrong. He's supposed to be fighting the Philistines, not marrying them and dating them. But this is just the impulsiveness of Samson throughout his life. So impulsive, he just followed his own lusts and desires uh, if, if I want something, I go get it. If I like a girl, go get her for me. If somebody makes me mad, I kill them. That, this is the way that Samson's life goes. Uh, so verse 3, his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. What? That he was seeking, that is, the Lord was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so what's really going on here? Was God behind all this? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that Samson's decision to go after this Philistine woman was righteous or wise, it does mean that God ended up using it. It created an opportunity for Samson to harass the Philistines who had been harassing God's people. And so I don't know everything verse 4 means, that, that the Lord was in this, but I know it at least means this. That the Lord is so wise and so good that he can use even our failures to accomplish his will in the long run. That's good to remember. Uh, 
number two, uh, to talk about Samson, you have to talk about his amazing strength. Uh, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, he performed these supernatural feats of strength. And uh, I have to give you a few examples because they're so amazing. Verse 5 of chapter 14 says, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he didn't tell his father or mother what he had done. Um, This is one of the weirdest and one of my most favorite phrases in this whole story of Samson. He tore apart the lion as one would have torn apart a young goat. Was goat tearing a thing back then? Did it happen a lot? I've never torn a goat. Evidently it was a thing back then, but, but it was amazing. This strength, a ferocious animal leaps on him and Samson just tore it like it was nothing. Uh, in chapter 14, verse 19, the spirit of the Lord comes on Samson and he attacks and kills 30 Philistine men all by himself. This man was a, a one-man SEAL team. He would just go in and just kick everybody's tail. Chapter 15, verse 4. Uh, then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches. That's amazing in itself. Turned the foxes tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Uh, Samson is just going around causing mayhem for the Philistines, keeping them all off balance so that they can't oppress the Israelites anymore. And so they came after him. Uh, Verse 8 of chapter 15 says, So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Hip and thigh. That's a Hebrew expression that means Samson put a whooping on the Philistines. It was a beatdown. Verse 14 of chapter 15 Uh, This is wild right here. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, and, and this rhymes in Hebrew, kind of like song lyrics or a rap, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. The next verse says, when he had finished saying that, he threw the jawbone from his hand. Sort of like a mic drop. A donkey jawbone would be a long curved bone that still had teeth in it. And in the hands of a man with the spirit of the Lord on him, it became like a lethal weapon. So, For all the faults that Samson had, and there were a lot of them, you have to admire the fact that this man never flinched in the face of the enemy. It seems he was so confident in the power of God on him that he never backed down from a fight. 
But then comes something that we also have to talk about if we're going to tell the whole story of Samson, and that is his careless sin. His careless sin. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders. It had to have been at least hundreds of pounds, if not more, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Samson is now living on the wild side. He's flirting with sin. He's sleeping with prostitutes. He's sleeping with the enemy, this Philistine woman named Delilah. And Samson has gotten to the point in his pride that he thinks he can handle it and that it won't get out of hand. And he thinks he's invincible. And like many of us, he gets to the point where he thinks that he can play with sin and not get hurt. But it turns out Samson is not nearly as smart as he thinks he is. And he finds out he's not as strong as he thinks he is either. Verse 6 says, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried. She bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And said to him, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. And so Samson's just messing with her. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a romantic game to him. And so uh, the same process is repeated with new ropes and then with weaving his hair. And the whole time Delilah is pleading and nagging. And with each false answer Samson gives her, he's moving closer and closer to the truth until he finally tells Delilah his secret. Down in verse 17, the Bible says that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So in that moment, Samson has compromised his vow to God, treating it like a plaything in a romantic game. He was willing to break his commitment to God 
for the love of Delilah. And it seems that Samson was thinking, if I can just have Delilah, if I can have her heart and her trust, I won't need God anymore. So he tells her the secret. He goes to sleep with his head in her lap. She cuts his hair, shaves his head. Then for the fourth time, she says, Samson, Samson, the, Philippine, the, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up ready to fight like he had before. And we read in verse 20, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Isn't that sad? He did not know the Lord had departed from him. I don't think Samson just decided one day, you know, I think I'm going to turn my back on God and ruin my life. It was gradual. It was a slow drift until one day he woke up and found that the power of God was not on his life anymore. Be careful, Christian. If you're saved, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your closeness to Christ. You can lose your spiritual effectiveness. And if you drift away from your commitment to the Lord and your love of the Lord and dependence on the Lord, one day some problem will cave in on you. Someone will break your heart. Some tragedy will strike in your life and you'll stand up and try to shake yourself free and find that you're a thousand miles from God. And you've drifted so far from Him that you can't feel His presence anymore and you don't have any spiritual power in your life anymore. Fourth, uh, we, we read about His shame In verse 21, the Bible says, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Samson here shows us the trajectory of sin. It starts out fun for Samson. In the beginning, it was all muscles and parties and practical jokes and hookups, but it didn't end that way. He found that suffering and shame follow sin as surely as night follows day. And so Samson's life becomes for us like a flashing caution light in Scripture, warning us That sin will bind you, sin will blind you, and sin will break you. Thankfully, 
That is not the final page in Samson's life. Read on in the next verse, verse 22. The Bible says, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. I like that. His hair began to grow again. It's a hint that at Samson's lowest point, God had not forgotten him. God's mercies, like Samson's hair, grow new every morning. And God's mercy, God's love, persists even where sin has shorn them away. And so in the next verse, we we read about Samson's final act of service to God. Uh, And let me just read the, uh, the whole story here as we close. Verse 23 says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us or so that we can make fun of him. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right, the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Some of God's most powerful work is when he takes a broken life and makes it useful again. Some of God's most powerful work is done when he takes someone who has made some big mistakes, who has committed some awful sins, But they turn to him in repentance and they call out to the Lord for mercy. Samson is proof that God can do great things with that person. He is the God of the second chance. You know, there there are two ways that you can respond to failure in your life. Either remorse or repentance. Many people feel remorse. Man, I wish I hadn't have said that. 
I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I could go back and have that choice to make over again. I wouldn't do the same thing. Remorse, and remorse can be a good start, but you need to go on to repentance because remorse focuses on yourself. Remorse laments what you've done, but repentance looks to God and asks God to step in and repair it by His grace. The truth is there's no hope in remorse. You can only find real hope in repentance when you look to the Lord. Remorse without repentance turns into either self-loathing or bitterness. Self-loathing says, I hate my life. Bitterness says, this is all somebody else's fault. But repentance says, I'm owning it. I'm taking responsibility for what I've done. But this is key. Repentance also accepts God's grace. Repentance is what invites God's mercy and God's forgiveness into your life. There there are many things you can't undo in your life. Sin makes a mess. Maybe sin has made a mess of your life. And you can't go back and unsin the sins that you've done. But you can repent. Repentance won't change your past. But if you repent, God will keep your past from defining your future. And if you repent, God will forgive you and make you usable again for His glory. So here's what I'd like to do today. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer, just thanking God for the fact that He is the God of second chances. Will you join me in praying that prayer? In fact, would you just stand with me quietly and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are that kind of God that when we blow it, when we break our commitments to you, when we sin, Lord, that you invite our repentance as we turn to you. And you're, you're there to forgive and to heal and to restore and to make us useful again in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for that person in this room today who's thinking, I'm the last person God would ever use. I've messed up so many times. I don't know how God can do anything good with my life. Lord, I pray that today they would look up to you like Samson did with a heart of repentance saying, God, forgive me and use me again. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the God 
who gives second chances. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severable podcast.